Listener Production. Okay, Missy, we need to do a finger prick. Okay, Mum, but I don't really want to. My name's Teresa. I have a six-year-old daughter, Gabrielle, who is diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of four. I know, but it's important we do it before bed so I know what your levels are. Well, unfortunately, with type 1 diabetes, there's no easing into it. Once you've got that diagnosis, it's everything changes from that it? moment on. Yeah. Okay, put the strip in. Right from that word go, you're having injections. Pick your finger. And that's a huge adjustment for a young child. I remember she was in tears for the first three days, did not want anyone to come near her with a needle. Is the blood coming out a little bit more? Yes. She needed finger pricks as well because at that time she wasn't wearing a glucose monitor. So that was at least six times a day she was having a finger prick. Hi, my name is Gabrielle and I have type 1 diabetes. I don't feel very happy because that I have type 1 diabetes because that I just want to be normal. Fitting in or being normal, as little Gabrielle put it just there, is perhaps the single most important thing on a young person's mind. Being pulled away from class or play for a finger prick is not only painful, it can feel like a giant neon sign above your head saying, hey, I'm different. What's your level? 8.1. No one wants to have a finger prick that causes pain. And if they were able to measure blood glucose levels with a saliva test, that would reduce so much trauma for those children. Imagine that. A glucose test without a needle or pain. A test that can sense even the smallest traces of glucose in your saliva instead of blood. A test that can be printed using a newspaper press or maybe even a home printer one day. A test that can make life a little bit easier for the 422 million people living with diabetes worldwide. Well, thanks to innovative technology from the University of Newcastle, you don't need to imagine. This technology really has the potential to dramatically change people's lives, Mm. to make it so that they don't have to use a needle. They can actually just use their saliva. I think that's a good level to go to bed with. Let's go. Hi, I'm Shani Wellington, a Wandy Wandy and Geringer woman, and I'm from the University of Newcastle, and this is The Minds Changing Lives. Beautiful little Gabrielle, hey? So she was only four when she was diagnosed. Yes, she was quite young, which a lot of children are when they're diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, although it can affect someone at any age. We noticed a few changes in her behaviour. The main one was bedwetting. It clicked to us that this isn't normal behaviour for her. We thought we need to get her to the doctor to see what's going on here. Teresa took Gabrielle to the doctor's, But at first, they thought it was just a bladder infection. After a course of antibiotics, a routine secondary test was ordered to make sure the bugs were gone. But what they found instead was sugar. So Gabrielle's doctor ordered a blood test. She'd gone off with her father to spend some time with him and I had a phone call early in the morning from the doctor's surgery and I knew that that wasn't good news. 
And the doctor said to me, I've just looked at the results of her blood test and you need to take her to the hospital straight away. Wow. I just hung up the phone and I just remember pacing around the house just in tears. Could not console myself. I could not pick up the phone to compose myself and call her father to tell him. I had to sit down and just let it all out and then try and calm myself down. And I made the phone call to him, which was so difficult to have to tell her father that you just need to pack up her things and take her to the ED straight away. And did you know in that moment what what the outcome was? I knew that she had diabetes, type 1 diabetes. It was probably about another four hours or so before I received the phone call from her father to say, yes, they've done their tests and got the results and she is a type 1 diabetic. I knew straight away that things weren't ever going to be the same again. It was very, very tough. That first night, it was really difficult. Um, I was trying to stay strong for her when I saw her in the hospital. Didn't want to cry in front of her. And I just remember that night just being sick to my stomach, laying in bed just wondering what the future held for us because there were so many unknowns. Um, It took a a few months or more to accept it. You still have your days where you just think, why did it happen? You, You ask yourself that, like, why her? Type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition in which the immune system is activated to destroy insulin-producing cells in the pancreas. Without insulin, the body's cells cannot turn glucose, or sugar, into energy. The only way to replace that insulin is through an injection. And the only way to test for blood glucose levels, or BGLs, is with a finger prick which must be done several times throughout the day, which Gabrielle is not too big a fan of. Would you be happy if you never had a finger prick again? Yes, I would. Why? I hate having my finger prick because uh, I always have to stop what I'm doing and I really like what I am doing, like playing with my stuffed toys and my Barbies. And my mum stops me from doing that. If you're a a patient suffering from diabetes and you've got to test your blood glucose, you have to stab yourself somewhere between four to ten times a day. If you're an adult, that's bad enough. Eventually, you run out of places on your fingers to stab. You're looking for other places. It's awful. But if you're a kid, it's a nightmare, Mm. absolute nightmare. These people in white coats come after you with a needle. (laughs) What are you going to think? Being chased around by a doctor with a needle is something that would frighten anyone. And it's something Professor Paul DeStore is hoping to eliminate completely with a technology that can test glucose levels in saliva using a printable sensor. One of the things we've always focused on, um, Shani, is tackling big problems. The second problem we decided to look at, what sensor should we make first? Well, we picked an enzyme that would would detect glucose. Why? Because we already knew there were going to be about half a billion people with diabetes worldwide. So, if you're an academic and you're given the privilege to actually work on research paid for by community, 
better make sure it's an important problem. What is a normal kind of day for someone like little Gabrielle? Well, she wears a monitor. It's called a continuous glucose monitor and that measures her blood glucose levels 24 hours a day. So she has to wear that piece of technology and we have a phone that sends alerts to us. There's beeps and things going off all day. If she has low blood sugars, that will alert. So obviously I need to take action and increase those levels buy some juice or another sugary item. And then also if she's high, the alarms will go off again. And that means that she's got too much glucose in her body. So then we have to get rid of that. So the whole day is based around that technology pretty much. It's a lot of planning. How often do you have your finger pricks? Only at dinner and breakfast I have finger pricks. Do any of your friends have type 1 diabetes? No. Every morning before school, I have to write down all of the food in her lunchbox that she's eating, all of the carbohydrates she's going to consume so the people taking care of her at school can take care of her and calculate the right insulin doses. We have to eat breakfast, lunch, dinner at similar times every day. If she's going to do some exercise, that might cause her glucose levels to drop. So we've got a plan for that. If she wants to go to a friend's house or do an activity, we've got to stop and think how we're going to manage the situation. And even though I am a nurse and I had some understanding of type 1 diabetes, I had no idea of the amount of management involved and how it would affect our life. It was a huge learning curve. You see, one of the key problems with um, sufferers of diabetes is the testing is so arduous or it can be so arduous that people don't want to test and so they don't do the measurements and actually it's a it's a chronic disease so you can get away with not testing for a while and then gradually really bad health outcomes develop over years so if we can make it easy then we're going to see much better outcomes for people with suffering from diabetes how did this pique your interest in this kind of you know really trailblazing space of developing technology I guess I started at the university in 1995, which, as I tell my students, is sometime in the last millennium, so that probably makes me about a 1,000 years old. I've always been interested in materials, and we initially started working trying to develop new sources of energy, actually, new printable solar cells. And the materials that I was interested in were a remarkable new set of materials They'd sort of very, relatively recently been discovered, and these are known as semiconducting polymers. We normally associate plastics or polymers with being electrical insulators, but it turns out there are a group of plastics or polymers that can actually conduct electricity. Imagine that, Mm. plastics that conduct electricity. And then on top of that, a set of materials were developed that could actually act as semiconductors, and that means they can be an electronic material. It then sort of developed into this interest in building organic electronic devices. How did you go from, you know, when we talk about printable solar, one of the things we're focusing on is, you know, needle-free diabetes. How how do those two things connect? How did we link them up? It's really odd, isn't it? Well, they're linked actually again through these rather remarkable materials. So if you think about a solar cell, that consists of some of this electronic ink sandwiched between two contacts. If I add a third contact, I create a transistor. 
Now, that's the point where we started to think, well, you know what, it'd be interesting if we could put other molecules into these transistors to make sensors. In a nutshell, a transistor is a semiconductor device used to amplify or switch electrical signals and power. If you think about a microphone, for example, sound waves are converted to a small electrical signal, which is then amplified using, you guessed it, a transistor. They're usually made from silicon. So what are the molecules or materials that make these printed transistors so unique? The thing about these materials is they're all based on carbon. Carbon obviously is a very important element in the periodic table, but we are based on carbon. All of our bodies, all of our biochemistry is all based on carbon. And here we are in 2005 building electronic devices made from carbon, not silicon, and we're making them using inks and we're coating and we're printing. And so we thought, I wonder if we could just put in a biomolecule, an enzyme, and I wonder if it will work in the transistor and make the transistor switch if the enzyme triggers. Well, that was a really, really silly idea. (laughs) But it turns out it worked. And so we had developed a new sensing technology based on these remarkable materials and combining biomolecules. In this case, an enzyme for glucose. Okay, so an electronic device or transistor made from carbon in the form of an ink that switches when the glucose enzyme is detected. And because it's an ink, it can be printed. So how do these sensors detect glucose? We were just building tiny little devices in the lab, right? Perhaps a few millimetres across, and we were testing them. And we were testing them on glucose, and they were working very well. And then we realised the sensitivity was really very high. And we worked out that the sensitivity was 100 times higher than standard blood glucose sensors. We thought, oh, that's interesting. The glucose in your blood, obviously there's blood floating around on the other side of your jaw, inside your mouth, and some of that can leak through into your saliva. The problem is, it's at a concentration that's 100 times lower than blood. Aha! But we've just developed a sensor that's 100 times more sensitive. And so that's where we started to realise we'd actually developed a sensor that potentially could be used to test for glucose in your saliva. Well, that's amazing. And take us through how how it would work. So, you know, we've all become a bit accustomed to testing at home at the moment with saliva swabs or, you know, up the nose as many of us are still recovering from. Uh, How would it actually work to be able to do this saliva test? Yeah, so what we're building now are printable strips. We will print it using machines that you'd use to make um, newspapers. Roll-to-roll printing, massive scale. So that's what we've developed. And we will uh, sample your saliva and then you'll test that. The reading will be read from your mobile phone or a reader which will connect to your mobile phone and that data will be immediately available to you. When you have type 1 diabetes, things can go wrong quickly. Blood glucose levels can change in an instant, which is why frequent testing is necessary. 
Gabrielle recently had an episode where her blood glucose levels stayed low for around four hours. When the usual hypoglycemic treatments weren't working, so you know, juice and lollies, Teresa made the decision to call an ambulance. So I knew straight away I needed to get to her and assess the situation. And I knew that it was not good that she was having the hypo treatment, but things weren't improving. So I made the decision to call the ambulance and they were there within half an hour and they did an assessment and decided that she needed to go to the hospital straight away. And so in that scenario, is that how, you know, how quickly can that turn south? Is it a case of life and death when you're trying to figure it in the moment, trying to be as reactive as you can? Yes, it can be. If you if you have low blood glucose levels and you don't have any treatment to increase those levels or you may not have had have the ability, if you're alone, you may not have the ability to get to the phone and call an ambulance, you can end up in a coma. So she had the fluids hooked up and a pump infusing the fluids into her veins and that got to her. Fair That's enough. when the tears started to flow. The bad things always happen to me. Why does this happen to me? She just did not like being attached to those fluids, which is completely understandable for a child. Mm. And she was very relieved when they were disconnected and we were discharged. But I did notice that after we were home, she was quite angry. She didn't want me to go near her. She was refusing her injections of insulin. She didn't want any more finger pricks because during the admission her finger was pricked probably about 10 to 12 times. That was in within 24 hours. So when we got home, all the emotions from that started to come out and bubble over and I'm her mum, so she took that out on me, mm. which is fine. But it's a lot for a child to go through. Absolutely. And if we had the saliva test, that would have made that situation much nicer for her. With the saliva test, there's there's no barrier really to testing. So I expect we'll see it being able to be used as a more frequent test during the day. And that hopefully will allow us to get, you know, perhaps even better statistics and better numbers on how people are tracking with their blood glucose levels during the day. All of the responsibility falls on the parent for obviously taking care of your child and making sure that those BGLs are in an appropriate range. It just um, impacts on every aspect of your life, your other children, obviously the child diagnosed with diabetes, your extended family, nothing is the same again. You have to create a new life and learn how you're going to manage the situation from there on in. We're talking about, you know, technology that could, you know, help families and help people with diabetes. How would this kind of needle-free testing, how would that help with someone like you or, you know, administering or for, to help someone like Gabrielle who's going through that? Uh, it would just be absolutely amazing for the paediatric patients that are admitted to hospital after diagnosis. Once this saliva test is up and running, I'm sure it will make life that much easier for everyone. When um, Gabrielle is at school, would, would it also, you know, that kind of network of... Um, care for her outside, do you think it would even help others that, you know, might not be able to go through that routine every single day when they are caring for her? Do you think that that would have an impact as well? 
I think it would help um, the support workers and teachers that are in schools managing children with type 1 diabetes because nobody wants to um, prick a child's finger and think they're causing them pain. So to have a simple swab in your mouth, that would just make a huge difference to their care. This technology has been in the works since Paul first started at the university in 1995. And now, moves are being made to put it in the hands of patients worldwide. We're about to start clinical evaluation. We're in the process now of building the first factory to manufacture these devices on campus. So we will have a full manufacturing centre at the University of Newcastle, which is very exciting. So we're currently procuring equipment and getting the printers ready for that. Uh, And then we'll run the first clinical evaluations, hopefully here in the Hunter first, and then internationally. Oh, that's amazing. Mm, It's cool. How exciting is that for you? When you you made that discovery, you know, of going out and working in solar panels and realising you might be able to help combat this global issue... What was the vibe like within the team when you figured that it could be applicable here? Yeah, no, it's fantastic. And, and you know, it's really important to realise that this is not me. It's, it's an entire team of people over the last 20 years who've been developing all of these technologies. And that's the fantastic thing that we've been able to, to create this team of people who've worked together for extended periods of time and develop the tech. And I think it raises another, another interesting point here that, that, you know, often passes people by. You know, this is one of those 25-year overnight success, right? <laughs> yeah, these things take time. It takes time to go from fundamental research all the way up to large-scale manufacturing, which we've done, and then to ultimate rollout and commercialization. 20 years is, is not an unusual amount of time. Paul, in terms of manufacturing and for someone at home, is there a big difference between financially how much this is going to cost? In terms of the cost of manufacture, we're able to manufacture these devices at really low cost. Uh, And that's because we're able to use large-scale reel-to-reel printing to print the electronics. Um, So the individual strips may well be uh, at a lower cost than conventional blood testing. Um, there'll still be a cost in terms of the readers or the electronics side of it. Uh, but again, I suspect that this should be a lot cheaper for um, domestic users or you know people at home, but also internationally. I'm hoping that this will be able to go global at a much lower cost, especially for developing nations. Well, everybody um, always gets so excited when we hear of some new development in the type 1 diabetes world. Because as parents, you want to see your child flourish and grow. And if there's some piece of technology out there that's going to make that easier, we want to see it happen. How much of a change have you seen since those first days Mm. of, you know, finger pricking, I could imagine doesn't get easier for anyone. So how have you seen that kind of develop over that time? Oh, look, she's just... um, had so much uh, personal growth, I would say, over, it's been two years now since diagnosis. In the beginning, very upset, obviously, these massive changes, asking questions like, why did it have to happen to me? Why did the bad things happen to me? She's just been amazing with it. And also all of the support we've received from the John Hunter Children's Hospital, uh, the nurse educators, 
spoke to me and explained the situation to me and that allowed me to talk to Gabrielle and bring things down to her level and put things in her terms that a child would understand. Uh, we've also used storybooks and watch like videos on the internet just to develop that understanding of how things have changed now. And now she just, she knows what's going to happen. She's at the point where she's telling other people what needs to happen. <laughs> how does that go? <laughs> well, yeah. They're holding uh, it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do, do listen to her, which is very, you know, that's great. Um, because you need to be assertive when you have type 1 diabetes. If you know something's not right, you need to speak up about it because things can go wrong fairly quickly. And Teresa, do you have any advice for, for any parents that, you know, they're, they're going through what you were going through two years ago and they might have had that phone call starting this process? Do you have any, you know, words of encouragement or advice for them? A diagnosis of type 1 diabetes is a huge shock you'll feel like your world is ending, that things will never be the same again. And yes, they won't be the same as they were before, but things will improve and you will learn how to manage the disease and your child will grow and they will be happy and they will accomplish everything that they set their mind to. It just requires a bit more planning, a bit more effort, but they are still going to be have an amazing life. Paul has big things planned for the future, with this tech being a launching pad for a plethora of other life-changing technology. In terms of the blood glucose sensor, we see that technology being out in the next two years. Wow. So it's we're at the end phase of that technology development. We now simply need to have those evaluations done and then it will be released on the, on the market. And we have commercial partner. I mean, the technology was listed on the NASDAQ in 2020. We secured government funding to build this first factory I mentioned in 2021. That's going ahead. And we'll have international rollout within the next uh, couple of years. So on the glucose sensor, that's where that's heading. More generally, the university has just secured um, what is known as trailblazer funding from the government. The focus there is to achieve 10 years of change in just four years. So the focus there is on accelerating these commercialization developments. Mm -hmm. So they don't take 20 years. They don't take 10 years. We're actually rolling out technologies now within four years of the program. So that's very exciting. One of those will be printed solar. That's another related technology. We'll be rolling that out. Longer term, as I look forward, I see in general, these technological developments will happen faster and faster. Uh, and our case, what we're starting to look at is how we can use these organic electronic materials to communicate directly with cells. So, for example, can we get nerve cells to trigger in response to signals we provide to these electronic materials? Wow. Yeah. So this is cool. just the beginning. Absolutely. And, and how does it feel for this to be coming reality, you know, on the cusp two years' time that people will be able to be using this technology? Well, I mean, there are a couple of things. One is it's, it's extraordinarily satisfying to see that the team that we've built at the university has been able to take a technology, do the academic research, not just write the papers, but also develop the technology to the point where it can be manufactured. And that's, that's, what, that's a major achievement. 
And I think it also is a reflection on the sort of things that we can do here at Newcastle. We have a winter school every year. Um, we're coming up to our 12th or 13th year in the centre. And we have uh, young undergraduate students come in and learn how to build devices. And, and basically, it's, it's a great three days. At the beginning of that winter school, I will often say to them, look, it doesn't matter where you are on the planet. There's no barrier to having good ideas. Whether you're in Cambridge, Harvard or Newcastle, it doesn't stop you having those good ideas. So our students, our researchers, our research teams are just as likely, just as able to come up with discoveries that impact the world as anyone else's. And that's exactly what Paul and his team have done. In just two years' time, this technology could be in the homes of people with diabetes worldwide. And who knows, we might be able to print them at home too. For Gabrielle, this would mean more time to play with her peers. And for Teresa, this would mean no longer being the bad guy, having to give Gabrielle painful finger pricks. Having convenient, painless and accessible blood glucose testing gives the power back to people living with diabetes and could change the way the illness is managed forever. This podcast is a listener production brought to you in partnership with the University of Newcastle, hosted by me, Shani Wellington. Produced by Kelsey Menzies, executive producer is Todd Stevens, with audio production by Kelly Fulston. Listener.